I'd like to go on a, a little journey. My assignment this morning is Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? Uh, real feel-good scriptures. So uh, I want to go on a journey this morning that a lot of you probably have been on. It's read through the Bible in a year journey. Maybe you've started this. It always starts in January, so you set your resolutions and your goals, you know, lose weight, more friends, and I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. So January, piece of cake. You dive into Genesis, I mean creation, the flood, you've got Abraham and Isaac. Oh, it's just great. January flies by. February, Exodus. Are you kidding me? Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues, this constant drama that's going on with the birth of a nation. And then you get to March and Leviticus, and you fall on your knees to repent, because you're like, what am I going to do with this? And we get to scriptures in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, scriptures like this, Leviticus 13, 1 and 2. This might be a life verse for some of you this morning. Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or rash or shining spot on their skin that may be defiling disease, they must be brought to Aaron. Well, now that's a great text, okay? What do you do with that, okay? Matter of fact, it's interesting. If you go all the way back to Exodus 20, do you remember when Moses came off the mountain with the Ten Commandments? And do you remember the, the entire nation was in open rebellion? Do you remember who the ringleader was? Aaron. And I remember even as a kid, I thought, it doesn't seem like God really punished Aaron for that. Yes, he did. Look what he does every day. Hey, Aaron, who is it? Benjamin, what's the problem? You know what the problem is. I mean, he has to deal with this every day. Then go to Numbers 22. You get to Numbers 22, and you read this amazing story. Now, we're not going to read the whole story, but you've heard it before. Uh, there's a prophet. His name is uh, Balaam, and uh, Balaam has this donkey, and as he's riding the donkey, the donkey sees an angel. Now, how Balaam didn't see an angel, I don't know, but he didn't. So he sees this angel. The donkey, uh, fear for his life, uh, runs Balaam into the wall. So he, God has a sense of humor, so he opens up the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey says, why are you beating me? Now, here's what's interesting. Balaam doesn't miss a beat. He just talks right back to the donkey. He says, well, this is paraphrase. Dude, if, if I could, if I had a sword, I would kill you right now. Now, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you talked to a donkey? Now, don't look around. It's awkward, okay? <laughs> but you read these kind of scriptures, and you think, what do I do with these tough scriptures? Numbers, chapter 21, verses 18 through 20. How many dads here have teenage sons? Okay, anyone? Good, there's hope. Now read this scripture with me. Here we go. When a man has a stubborn son, a real rebel, this is from the message, who won't do a thing for his mother or father, tell him even if they discipline him and he won't obey, his mother and father shall forcibly bring him before the leaders of the city gate, and the son of ours is stubborn and a rebel. He won't listen. He's a glutton, which means he eats too much. He's a drunk. He parties too much. And then the men of the town threw rocks at him. Wouldn't that change the dynamic a little five every year? <laughs> Think about this. So here's what happens. We get to these tough scriptures, and if we're not careful, we say, I don't see how this applies to me. But here's what I want you to remember. I love the tagline, it's an old one, but I love the tagline from AMC Theater, and it simply says, story matters. 
As you go through God's word, don't ever lose track of the fact that story matters. And here's the story. God's love is supreme. God's grace is sufficient. God's love is supreme, and God's grace is sufficient. So as I went through all of these uh, chapters, I thought, I want to pick a story that over the years has really inspired me. And I hope this morning it inspires you. Because even books like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're going to see some of God's stories come through. And I'm telling you, they can change your life. Turn with me then to Numbers 13 in the heart of our text this morning, Numbers 13. And let me give you just a little background before we get to the meat of the story. The background is something like this. The nation of Israel, we know in Exodus 13, they've been freed. You know, they crossed the Red Sea, and here's these hundreds of thousands of people they've gathered together, and they are free. But boy, there's no organization. And God tells us, it's interesting in his word, uh, that they could have got to the promised land in just a little over two months. But he didn't allow them to do that because they weren't ready. There was no infrastructure. So he developed dietary laws, judicial laws. He raised up leaders for delegation. Um, he did so many things behind the scenes to build infrastructure. And the other thing is he built up trust and courage so that as far as a military conquest, they would be prepared. Now you get to Numbers 13. And in Numbers 13, Moses goes to the nation and he is so excited. They are on the threshold of the promised land. And he pulls in representatives from the 12 tribes, the 12 spies. How many of you have heard this story, the 12 spies? Okay. And he brings the 12 spies. And here's what's amazing. In Numbers 13, verses 17 through 20, he gives them basic, basic instructions. Verse 17, go to the hill country. See if the people there are weak or strong. Verse 18, check out the land. Is the land good or bad? Verse 19, check out the cities. Are they fortified? And my favorite verse, 20, do your best to bring back fruit. Say this with me, bring back fruit. Now, why in the world would Moses do that? It's obvious. I want you to go into the land and I want you to put together a strategy, but more importantly than that, I want you to bring back evidence of the land that God has promised. Do you see where Moses is going with this? I mean, this is a slam dunk. He's going to bring the spies back. He's going to say, look what's in the promised land, and we are going to be rallying the troops. We're going to go in and take the land. But that's not what happens at all. There's just something that happens with basic instructions. Now, uh, I'm from a strange family. I'm just going to be straight up with you here. I'm the youngest of seven, and my mom uh, was just shy of 42 when I was born, okay? So I have nephews older than me, okay? That's weird, okay? So my oldest sister, when I would go to see my nephews, it'd be like you seeing your first cousins. So see, that's the relationship. And every summer, uh, my, my sister married a career army man. Okay, so they were all over the country. So I always loved to visit because I got to see all these places around the country. And uh, I would get there, and, uh, and uh, my, I don't think my brother-in-law was always real excited when I showed up. I'm just guessing. Okay, and um, it seemed like he drank and cussed more. But anyway, that's, that's beside. But anyway, I got there, and uh, it was a Saturday morning, and he grabbed my nephew Donnie, and he said, I want you and Johnny to go get bread and milk. We're almost out. 
go straight to the store and back. No problem. So we get on our bikes, go to the store. He's got the milk, and I've got some bread. And uh, I said, uh, so are there any cute girls in the neighborhood? He said, oh, lots of cute girls. That's great. Why don't we kind of go around and see if anyone's out in the yard? He said, because we're supposed to go straight home. Donnie, really? <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen? So I'm not sure who caused the accident, but we had a bad wreck. And milk, <laughs> you know, comes out. I run over the bread, and I'm like stuffing the bread, and we're screwing the top back on the milk. And he's almost in tears. I'm like, eh, we, we've got this covered. It's not a big deal. And he had this look like, that cross between I'm going to die and I want to kill you. You know that real puzzled look? So it's, then it's silent. And we're, we're riding home. And I said, hey, Donnie, I just came up with a song. He goes, what? And I go, and I check this out. You drop the milk and I drop the bread. Together we're going to be dead, dead, dead. Dad's dead. <laughs> D he did not like the song at all. <laughs> but here's what I want to ask you this morning. In your life. How many times have you got in serious trouble because you ignored basic instruction? How many times, parents, have you talked to your kids and you said something to the effect of, what part of that did you not get? What did you not understand? How many times have grandparents talked to your kids about their kids and said, it's payback time, baby, because you didn't listen, and now they're not listening? We know in life what happens when we ignore basic, basic instruction. And what's interesting is Moses lays out these basic instructions, and the majority get it wrong, and only two get it right. And that's what's sad in life. Very often, there's a vocal majority, and just because it's the majority doesn't mean it's right. If you follow Christ, I can tell you right now, Many times, there are many voices, and you're going to have to do what's right, not what's easy. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I think sometimes in life, we get in an environment like this, and we're surrounded by other believers, and we think somehow living out the Christian faith is easy. And it's never easy. Because there's so many voices. And the majority... If you look at Numbers 13, what was the number one fear? There were giants in the land. Man, they said, physically, look at these. Look at these people that we're going up against. We can't possibly win. Did Moses ever say that it was a battle that we would win? No, he said this is a battle that has already been won by who? God. God will take care of the giants. That's not our job. Let God take care of that. But they couldn't get beyond the fact that there were giants. And let me ask you this morning, those of you that came in here, and it is hard because you showed up and you're battling giants in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone bad. Maybe it's a job that's not working out. Maybe it's a past mistake. Maybe it's fear of the unknown. But there's giants in the land. There will always be giants. And you know what else? There will always be people who love to bring bad reports. Can I have an amen on that one? Have you ever known people that that's their spiritual gift, to be a wet blanket? That they love the words, you can't do that. That can't be done. Come on. Are you serious? If we always listen to those in life that bring bad reports... Where's that going to get you? And is that the life God wants us to lead? Absolutely not. 
God has called us to a willingness to take on the giants because of his spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that the spirit that is within us is not a spirit that is timid. He has given us a power that is beyond comprehension. I love what Martin Luther said. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back today. There are giants. I, I want to share with you something that uh, that I've been doing the last year on Wednesday nights that I love. And uh, we started a Bible study at the Cloverleaf restaurant. Uh, how many have ever ate at the Cloverleaf? Great for your diet. So I want to encourage you to go to the Cloverleaf. But we go on Wednesday night from 6.30 uh, to 7. We have appetizers. They bring out uh, really good greasy appetizers. I love it. And then from 7 to 8, what we do is we get into what I call spiritual curiosity. What are the questions that people really have? Because you know what we're good at at church? We're really good at talking. You know what we're not very good at? Listening. So we wanted to create an environment, and here's our motto. We honor your time, we respect your opinion, and we cherish your questions. If you'd like to know anything about what's going on on Wednesday night, if you'll just go out, we have a kiosk there and has just basic information. I want to invite you, or if you have friends, and you're like, that's exactly where my friends are at. They're not going to go to church, but maybe they would sit in a restaurant and eat some greasy food and ask tough spiritual questions. If that interests you, you just let me know. But about a month ago in our Bible study, we were talking about how we could take God's word and, I mean, allow God's word to penetrate our hearts so that it was like action-driven every day, and we came up with an acronym that I want to share with you that I think hopefully will help you. The L is learn from mistakes. So in other words, as Wayne Cadero says, you learn life's greatest lessons from mistakes. Wouldn't you love it if in your life the greatest lessons you learned were from the things you did right? Wouldn't that be great? But is that where you learned your greatest lessons? No. You learn your greatest lessons from mistakes you've made. But here's the great news. You can learn from other people's mistakes. And that's what I love about the Bible. When we read about Moses and David and all through the scripture, these characters, here's what we find out. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes. And we can learn from their mistakes. The story we just studied this morning. Imagine if we were to really prayerfully look at that story and say, what's the mistake that was made? And we'd say, oh, that's obvious. The mistake is the people of Israel listened to the wrong people. They weren't faithfully obedient to God. And then pause and think, man, do I make that mistake sometimes? Because I'll tell you what, I know I do. So as you're reading God's word, just learn from mistakes. E, ask yourself, is there an example to follow? In this particular story, I love it because the example, there's two of them, but I just want to deal with one of them, Numbers 14, 24. It's Joshua and Caleb. They stood up with the majority screaming against them, and they would not back down. And here's what 14, 24 says about Caleb. But because my servant Caleb has a different, would you highlight that word, a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land. Isn't it interesting? Caleb saw the promised land, but Moses didn't. But what do we mean by the word different? 
It literally means something or someone that does not conform to the standard or the norm. There's an example to follow. And all these years living and growing up in the church, what I love is as I look back, I just see that God has placed men and women in front of me that were examples to follow. Were they perfect? No. But here's the one characteristic that I love the most about what I call the heroes of faith in my life. Robert Clinton, who's an author and a professor at Fullerton Theological, spent 15 years of research. And Tom shared this a couple weeks ago in a Bible study. I love this. He studied biblical leadership. He studied 1,000 leaders in the Bible. Of the 1,000 leaders that he studied, 70% did not end well. Now think about that. 70% of all the leaders in the Bible did not end well. You see, it's easy to start well, isn't it? To make an emotional decision, you come to Christ, you get a certificate, you come to church, you sit in padded pews, you sing great music, that's easy. But boy, every day, living out your faith to the point that it ends well, well, that's a different story. That's a hard, hard place. But those are the examples that we need. In 1968... Uh, they always conclude the Olympics with a marathon. And it was in Mexico City, and uh, the race was over. And matter of fact, uh, the race was almost, almost an hour past the uh, gold medal winner, and half the stadium had already left, and somebody yelled out, wait a minute, there is one more runner out there. An hour from the gold medal winner, there was another guy out there struggling to get to the stadium. And he had been knocked down, and I mean he was bloodied up, bandaged up, uh, I, I went on YouTube, and they have this. It just almost brings tears to my eyes. I watched this guy come in the stadium, and he was limping. just could barely get to the finish line. When he got to the finish line, one of the reporters went up. Could not believe it. His name was John Stephen Aquare. And they asked John Stephen, why in the world wouldn't you have just stopped when you got knocked down? Why did you finish this crazy marathon? You could have really hurt yourself. And here's what he said. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. That's what God's called us to do. He didn't call us to start it. He called us to hang in there and to finish it. And then the A is simply application. As you're reading through this story and countless stories whether it's Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, whatever the book is, as you're plowing through this and reading through God's word, how is this applying to you? And how can you call out in obedience? This word has challenged me today to do what? It's easy to learn the word, but to put the word in motion, that's where it gets tough. And then here's the last letter, the letter P. Passages and prayer, or as I like to put it, prayers and promises. What are the words from God's word that you cling to like an anchor when you go through the hard times? Here's what I loved and I want to challenge you to do in some of your Bible studies. Uh, that night at the Leaf we said, what are some of the scriptures that you have clung to over the years when there's nothing else to cling to? And I love to hear people share scriptures that just took their soul like an anchor and they clung to God's promises, and the Word of God now became so active and alive during those darkest times. 
So I want to ask you, as you go through that, and you're willing to take a leap, not of faith, but a leap in faith, I want to say, how's God's word moving you? And so we want to close today a little differently than we've closed it in the past. Normally we have an invitation, and we say, if you haven't accepted Christ to come forward, and you know that's always available. But I'll tell you what I think is missing sometimes, is when we're taking on life's giants, we don't pray. We try to take them on by ourselves. So we want to have an extended time of prayer this morning. A couple of years ago, I had the honor to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle prayer service on Tuesday night. And I could not believe what took place. But right in the middle of the service, they said, uh, we know some of you are struggling, so would you just turn to some of your neighbors around you, and I want you to pray right now for what's on your heart. And the neighbors around me were from all over the world. I didn't know who they were at all, but it was interesting to see all these people start praying. So here's the prayer this morning. What giant are you facing right now? And will you have the courage to pray? 